0: Ever since I was a youth, I always wanted to be a good man. I was encouraged to be a good man by my grandfather and even by my father. So, growing up, I thought that to be a good man, I had to do things that would make me into a good man. Things like going to church or doing good unto others or being a good husband, being a good dad, being a servant leader. Being a good citizen, all these things I thought were going to make me into a good man. Of course, that was only part of the equation. There's a troubling verse in Mark 10:18, where the rich young ruler, the rich young man, comes to Jesus and calls him good master. And Jesus turns to him and says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So, a verse like this can be puzzling. But then, on the other hand, there's another verse in Luke 6.45, where Jesus says, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. So, the question is, is there such a thing as a good man, biblically speaking? Today, we'll look at the biblical definition of a good man, and we will answer our title, which says, What does being a good man imply? And yes, the answer might surprise you. So stick around to find out what a good man is according to the Bible. Are you ready? Let's dig deeper.
1: Welcome to the Thriving on Purpose podcast, hosted by certified coaches, Elizabeth and Sebastian Richard. Elizabeth is a Christian life and leadership coach, branding consultant, and busy mompreneur. Sebastian is a Christian speaker, Bible teacher, author, and leadership expert. Together, they help today's committed believers to dig deeper in their knowledge and walk with God in order for them to grow and climb higher in life and leadership. If you want to dig even deeper, make sure to visit thrivingonpurpose.com for more free resources and content.
2: Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Thriving on Purpose podcast. And I can tell you, ladies, those that are, of you are listening to this podcast, you're probably thinking, well, this is going to be a, a topic for men. But I really encourage you to listen to this podcast episode because it's going to open your eyes as well. And you're going to want to encourage other men in your life to listen to this podcast. You might want your um, brother uh, your husband to listen to it it's going to be a very eye-opening podcast for men so i encourage you to listen to it and to share it with the men you love that are in your life okay sebastian so what do you have prepared for us let's dig in
0: well i have a lot of content this week it's a topic that really um, uh, i have it on my heart to talk about this of course i'm a man so i'm hoping that Uh, Since this message that I prepared encouraged me and helped me to understand uh, the Word of God better, I'm hoping that it's going to help the men who are listening to understand God's Word better and apply it to their lives in a significant way. So I just want to say a word about, to put everything in context as I first start this teaching. Before I became an entrepreneur, there was a certain verse in the scriptures that always stung me. Every single time I read it, it it hurt. <laughs> I gotta I gotta be honest, it hurt. And that verse, and there, and guys, or guys listening, I'm sure that you have your own favorite verses that hurt you, or or verses that whenever you read them, you're like, yeah. That I got my own few verses that I know by heart that that actually hurt me. We all have those verses, right? The, the verses of scripture where we find that our lives don't really align with God's Word. And whenever we read, whenever we read a passage and that verse is there, we kind of try to go faster and try to not look at it too long because they hurt. Why do they hurt? Because we love God. We want to align our lives with what God is saying. And when we read something that our lives really aren't aligned with, well, it hurts. And that's the Holy Ghost. That's the work of the Spirit, right? To convict us of sin, to convict us to change our lives, to show us where we need to come back in alignment with what God says of things. Well, one such verse for me is Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, which says, and it's our theme verse for this teaching, a good man, so it starts like this, a good man Leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. So, why did this verse sting before I became an entrepreneur? Well, every time I read that verse, I knew that I knew that I knew that I didn't cut it as the biblical definition given to us by Solomon of a good man. In other words, I knew that my debts, coupled with my $50,000 a year salary, which isn't too bad, really, in today's economy, but on the other hand, (laughs) it's not too great either. I knew that my debts with that salary wasn't enough to provide for my children's children. In other words, for my grandchildren. They're not born yet, but I'm hoping and, and thinking that someday I might have some grandkids, because I do have three children. So therefore, every time I read that verse, I felt that I wasn't qualified, biblically speaking, as a good man. My salary wasn't even enough to provide for my own children, much less my future grandkids. So as a result, every time I read that verse, I was brought back to my reality, and I was downcast. But nonetheless, nonetheless, I knew that God wanted me to be a good man. I mean, he wants all men who are saved, who are walking with him, to be good men. Okay, that's just perfectly normal. Let's just make, let's just not argue about God's will here. God's will is for you and for me to be a good man. So I knew that being able to provide for my children and for my grandchildren someday was part of His will for me. And so it was with this firm belief that I began searching for ways to become that good man, to become that good man who qualifies. And unless you become a doctor or a lawyer or a CEO of a large corporation— I found that the best way to do this was to become an entrepreneur. Or as the Bible calls them, we saw that a couple of episodes back, they are called in the Bible masters. So the entre- successful entrepreneurs in the Bible are called masters. And the reason why God calls the prosperous man, in other words, the man who's able to provide for his children and his grandchildren, the reason why God calls this type of man a good man is threefold. So there's three components to why that type of man is a good man. And and let's take for granted right away that the man we're talking about in this context is a Christian, a believer, someone who is already saved. Okay. So let's take that for granted because obviously we know that if you're not already saved, if you're not already walking with God, you're disqualified. You're disqualified from being a good man right away because you're not sanctified. You're not justified in Christ. So, therefore, you, right right there, you, you missed a cut. But we won't go into that uh, theological aspect. We're just going to stay with our verse here, okay? So, the threefold reasons why the man who provides for his children's children is a good man is, number one, he takes good care of his family or as we, uh, the word we like to use is he's a good provider, and uh, we've seen in past episodes that a provider is composed of two words, pro, which means ahead, and video, which means to see. Video, we we know we use that word a lot, right? To see, so to see ahead. That's what a provider does. A provider sees ahead. And the Apostle Paul echoes Proverbs 13.22, which is our main verse, in 1 Timothy 5.8, where he says, If someone does not provide for his own, especially his own family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So it's a Bare minimum, for a man to be deemed good, to be taking care, or to at least be trying to be taking care, of his family. Okay? So, we have that reminder. Solomon tells us, okay, a good man takes care of his children and his grandkids. So, that's the the um, the far reach of that care. The umbrella that we're supposed to be as good men. That's how far it should reach. to Up to our grandkids. So, that is part of being a good man. Number one, he takes good care of his family. If you have that desire, and I believe that you know, a, a large percentage of Christian men out there do have that desire. Even before I became an entrepreneur, I had a strong desire to provide for my family. That was something that was implanted in my heart. And, and to be honest, my dad failed miserably at it. He was not a good man in the biblical sense. He was not evil with us. He was not, well, I shouldn't say evil. He wasn't mean to us. He didn't beat us. He didn't abuse us, but he didn't provide for us. And that was a huge, huge problem. So, the good man takes good care of his family. So, I just want to share with you guys how I felt not uh, growing up uh, with a father who was not a good man who didn't take good care of his family. Well, it kind of did a twofold thing in my life that I've noticed. It ill equipped me to deal with financial demands of manhood. So I didn't have before my eyes every day, daily, I didn't see what it was to provide. I didn't see a man going out to work hard and bring back the bacon. And to be responsible and to want to give his children good things so i didn't have that example set before my eyes so i kind of had to learn all of that from scratch i didn't have a dad i could go to say hey dad how did you dot 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 or how should i dot he couldn't advise me in anything that pertained to jobs work money and especially not towards uh, entrepreneurship. I couldn't definitely couldn't, couldn't go talk to him about that. So I had to learn everything from scratch. It was extremely demanding. Charles Stanley uh, once said he's a he's a pastor, a very well known preacher and pastor, that the men who grow up without a male a strong male role model in their lives are going to have to learn to become man through trial and error. And it's going to take them longer to mature, to become strong man, than it would have otherwise. And that was verifiable in my own life. I mean, I married, I was 28. And even at 28, I severely lacked maturity in a lot of areas. And Liz was patient, and and praise God for that. I I married a patient wife. She saw I had really good intentions, but good intentions didn't always translate into good actions or proper actions.
2: Yeah, and um, I want to add to this, the fact that his father was on social welfare most of his life, and that ended up ruining um, the relationship between Sebastian's father and mother, as we know, you know, one of the biggest components for divorce is finances. Yeah. So when that you know when that uh, piece of the puzzle is missing, that also creates a lot of conflict and a, a lot of problems and oftentimes ends in divorce. So because of that, he w- he didn't have the foundation he needed either to learn how to be a good husband, how to provide properly. So that was all a huge learning curve for him. Mm -hmm. And so I I mentioned this because I want you to understand to how far this can go, you know, as where you're leaving your legacy, how important it is even for your children to see that that aspect of your life is functioning properly so that you can eliminate that. That's, you know, not a problem in your marriage and that you're, Kids can see that everything's functioning properly and that finance component is working well, so that your marriage is strong as well.
1: Mm.
0: And the other thing I wanted to bring up also is, like I said, it was twofold. So there was obviously the learning curve into manhood, into uh, being a good provider. You know, developing that backbone, that those good man characteristics so much harder for me. But another thing that it did, strangely enough, it gave me probably more than most guys my age, a greater desire to develop that, a greater thirst, a greater hunger to feed myself. Probably because I was a Christian, I was already a believer. So probably because of that, I sought out everything that I could get my hands on, books, materials, uh observing other men whom I admired, who were good men, and seeing how they did it, how they led their families, I had a greater hunger because I knew I had a lot left to be desired in that department, in that area. So I needed to to compensate. So I kind of overcompensated as a youth, where I would, you know, as a 22-year-old, I would read books on marriage and how to be a good husband. It was not something that's really common in most 22-year-old <laughs> guys, right? But I was so marked, I was so traumatized in a way by my parents' two divorces. They divorced twice, so they, which is weird, but they married, divorced when I was two, remarried when I was 10 or nine. And then they re divorced when I was 14. So obviously I was I was scarred. And I didn't want to bring this background into my own married life. And you know, even like with all the good will I had and all the, the, the books that I did read, uh, they did help. They helped quite a bit. But even with all that, I still was found wanting when I when I began my married life. There were still things that I kinks that I hadn't worked through that could only be worked in our relationship, me and Liz. But I don't want to spend too much time talking about uh, that first point. Let's get on to point number two. So the good man is good because he is a good steward of God's resources. So if we take it in the context of Proverbs 13, if you're going to leave an inheritance to your children's children, obviously, you're a good steward. You cannot do that if you mismanage everything that God gives you. Okay? So, um there are many, many parallels that can be woven between that passage, that verse in Proverbs 13:22, and oddly enough, I discovered this recently, and the good and faithful servant in the parable of the talents. And I'm going to get into this because I think it's huge, it's super important. In fact, I believe that Jesus, when he told the parable of the talents, there's a part of it that I think related, or he had in the back of his mind, that was probably Proverbs 13, but the latter part of the verse, which says, the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. And we're going to see where this is going, Okay. So to me, this resonates very much with the dire consequence for the wicked servant in the last part of Jesus's parable of the talents, which reads this way. It's in Matthew 25 verses 28 to 30. So at the end, where all everything was said and done, and you had these three servants. Remember the remember the parable. One uh, he, he took uh, five talents, and he got ten out of it. The other one took I think two and he made four, and the other one one was given one talent, and he, he got scared, and he went and buried it in the earth. Remember that? <laughs> okay. So, Jesus says, or, or the, the, the master in the parable says, take the talent from him, talking about the the wicked servant, okay, the, the one who hid it in the earth. He said, take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that is a tough passage to read because a lot of people have wondered, why Why is that? Why does Jesus say, to the one who has, more will be given. And to the one who has not, even what he does have, that will be taken from him. Well, this, I believe, has to do with Proverbs 13.22 where it says, the sinner's wealth is laid up, laid up, stored, right? Laid up. It's stored. It's kept away. In other words, it's not put in circulation. It is not made active. It's stored up. And all throughout the scriptures, when Jesus or when the Bible talks negatively about riches or rich people, notice this, it's always about the attitude. What happens when you love money? We know that the scripture condemns the love of money. What happens when you love money? You store it up. You keep it. You put it in the vault somewhere. You make sure it's not put in circulation. You make sure you you hide it. You go and hide it in the ground, okay? And I find that fascinating. So our Lord takes very, very seriously our fruitfulness. And the parable of the talents reminds us of that. But here's the mistake that, that I believe we've made is that we oftentimes we have over-spiritualized this parable. And the reason we've over-spiritualized it is very simple. It's because it's called the parable of the talents. It's not called the parable of the dollars or the parable of the gold nuggets. It's the parable of the talents. And because of that, we've taken it too many times, too often we've taken it to mean, well... We're supposed to use our gifts, our talents, and our abilities to and invest them by making them fruitful for God, right? We're supposed to uh, make ourselves more useful and fruitful to God with what He has given us as talents. But here's the problem, is that in the parable of the talents, talents is a monetary unit. It's, a, it's, a, it's like saying dollars, or euros, okay? So back in the day, a talent was a monetary unit, measure a very specific amount. So when we read the parable of the talents, the fruitfulness implied is financial. It is not a soulful fruitfulness, it is not spiritual. So we over-spiritualize it oftentimes in church, okay? God is not only interested in our spiritual growth. Righteousness is not only being saved, sanctified, and being righteous positionally in Christ or spiritually. It also includes bearing fruit in every sphere of your life. And that includes the sphere of your finances. So like I said... Although we often spiritualize the parable of the talents, at its core, it is a lesson on the importance of growing our financial resources. God sees great worth in a man or in a woman who is a good steward who knows how to, and we saw that a couple of episodes ago, how to create wealth. That's why God has given us the ability to create wealth. He's given us this ability because He expects us to use it. He, ex- he expects us to use it in our ability to deal with the resources that, are, that, he, that he confers upon us. So we, we are meant to be good stewards. That is very, very important. And many believers, unfortunately, have often taken this good steward approach towards saving a penny rather than towards making a penny. Every time I've been in church and they talked about how to be good stewards of the money that God gives us. So whenever I would hear a sermon on money and how to be a good steward, it was always on how not to spend too much, how to save a penny. It was never on how to make a penny or a dollar. Although frugality is a very good thing, I think we can all agree on that, being frugal is a good thing, as a steward, a biblical steward, it is the wrong approach when it comes to good stewardship. And it doesn't help the kingdom very, very much. It limits your overspending, which is good. But there's another side to this coin, and the other side is, how can you make it grow? How can you make your finances grow. Always remember, God doesn't send significant growth and blessing where there is poor management. And poor management can be twofold. Yes, there is there are people who spend too much, who go into debt too much. And that is a, that is a thing we need to correct. But there's also the poor management of not making enough, of not well, like Proverbs 13, 22, not being a good man who provides for his children's children. And this hurts, right? I mean, as a man, this is a wake-up call. This was for me, for a long time, this verse was a wake-up call for me to say, okay, it hurts, I don't like reading this, but what am I going to do about it? So, it, it wasn't until I decided to do something about it that the verse didn't hurt anymore because at that point, the Holy Spirit was like, okay, now you now you get it. I did expect you to do something. I did expect you to, to move in that direction. So, like I said, God doesn't send significant growth and blessing where there is poor management. And Job, if you look at the, the man, Job, in the Bible, he's a very, very good example of how to grow finances. He was commended, Job, for his righteousness. God was you know, flaunting him before the devil, saying, look at this man, Job, how, how amazing he is. But the whole person of Job, it wasn't just about him being a man who walked with God and being a man of integrity. There was also the fact that this man knew how to make a penny. So he was also commended, that was part of the package of who Job was, for his ability to manage resources. Another person we can think about is Joseph in the Old Testament. Everybody thinks that Joseph got promoted to work for Pharaoh because of his gift for interpreting dreams. Now, keep in mind, his gift for interpreting dreams is what got him before Pharaoh. But it's not what got him the position of Egypt's prime minister. And that's where a lot of people make the mistake. They think that he got that position because of his ability to interpret interpret dreams. No, it is not. If you go back and read the story of Joseph, I didn't jot down the, 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 the Bible passage there, but it's very clear that once he's interpreted the dream, Pharaoh asks, he said, well, how are we going to fix this situation? You're telling me there's seven years of famine coming our way. Like, what am I going to do? And Joseph brings up the solution. Through his uncanny ability to manage resources, Joseph comes up with a, like almost instantaneously, with a great plan to manage this whole affair, this whole seven-year famine. And it just comes out of him super fast. And then Pharaoh goes like, well, then this is a no-brainer. Who better than this man to take up that kind of Job, I'm going to appoint you second only to myself. And Pharaoh appoints Joseph because of his ability to manage, not because of his ability to interpret dreams. Because if Pharaoh had told, had said to Joseph, What are we going to do? And Joseph said, Well, I don't know. You need to go pray or something. I, I'm just a dream interpreter. If Joseph had said that, it would have been over. Yeah, he would have been out of jail, but then he would have been like, Not go get a job, you know, find something to do. And <laughs> But, but no, it was his solution that brought him to become prime minister in Egypt. Okay, this brings us to our third point about what is the, the third thing that makes a good man, according to that ability to provide for your children's children. Well, it's pretty no-brainer. Simply put, he is able to take care of others. God wants his people to be generous. He wants his people to be able to take care of other people. In Proverbs 11.25, it says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And Jesus also tells us to give generously. Give, and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, it shall be measured to you again. In other words, how much you give to others, it will be given back to you by men. And that's very interesting here in this verse because uh, in the King James Version, it says that men shall give unto you. So yeah, that, that men will be generous with you. So with this in mind, here's something that you need to consider. You can give or be generous a lot more if you have a lot more. You can help a lot more people and provide a lot more for the poor and needy and contribute a lot more to other ministries by making the most of yourself and having more money, more financial prosperity. By being that man who is able to provide for his children and for his children's children. See, if you're barely like like I was, you're barely able to provide for your children, well, you're not going to think about providing for others. I mean, you're going to look after your own household, and that's perfectly normal, right? You're, you're you're in survival mode. You're trying to make it, and you just want your kids to have their three square meals a day. You're not going to start thinking, how can I help others or so-and-so ministry? or And it's, it's natural. It's normal to look after your own needs and the ones of your family, but Here's what happens when you become more prosperous and you become that good man. Well, you're able to look after more people. Because a man who's able to look after his grandkids usually is well off. He's doing well. He's able to look after his grandkids. That means he's, he's got some money left over for good works. Okay, And that is what 2 Corinthians 9.8 means when Paul says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So therefore, the, the wealth that God enables you to acquire is for you to show your goodness and His goodness through you in generous ways. So you remember earlier, I spoke of how Job was a good example of a really good man. And Job was commended by God because of who he was and because of how he conducted himself with his wealth. The President Abraham Lincoln once said that if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Well, Job had tremendous wealth. He had tremendous influence, and yes, he had power at the city gates. And yet, he was irreproachable, and he was even revered by his peers at the time. His character was exemplary. So, in the book of Job, in chapter 29, verses 7 to 12, we read Job's own words. So, Liz, would, would you read for our listeners Job Chapter 29, verses 7 to 12.
2: Yes. So it reads, When I went to the gate of the city and took my seat in the public square, the young men saw me and stepped aside, and the old men rose to their feet. The chief men refrained from speaking and covered their mouths with their hands. The voices of the nobles were hushed, and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouths. Whoever heard me spoke well of me, and those who saw me commended me, because I rescued the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had none to assist them.
0: Wow. So it's fascinating to me that the esteem and respect that Job got at the city gates and in the city where he lived came Not just from his integrity and his godliness, but he says it came because he rescued the poor and the fatherless who had none to assist them. So, Job's goodness, obviously, you you cannot take care of poor people if if you're you're poor. Okay, so (laughs) we know that his goodness was that Proverbs uh, 13.22, goodness. Okay, it was it was a there was a financial aspect to it. It wasn't just his integrity. It wasn't just his godliness. It was also his extending financial help to those in need. And if ever you're willing to venture outside of the Bible to learn a bit more about Job, I recommend the pseudopigraphal Testament of Job. That's in uh, writings uh, that are not they're not sure who wrote them. Uh, and they never quite made it to the Bi- into the bible but it's an old writing and it and it's kind of unsure who wrote it but it's fascinating because it goes so much more in depth about how much job provided using his wealth to help the needy and according to this ancient text the pseudepigraphal testament of job it is quite astounding to what lengths he went there is more detail than the, the passage we read from the Scripture. It goes into a lot more detail. However, whether or not the book uh, can be trusted as a viable source of information, I will leave that to your good judgment if ever you decide to go read it. Read it as an extra source of information, but you can't read it as you would the Scriptures. You know, the Scriptures you can stake your life on. <laughs> the pseudepigraphal testament of Job, not so much, okay? The point is... God really desires for his kingdom ambassadors, for believers, to be people who make a big difference in the earth realm, just like Job did, or Joseph. God wants us to be good men who do good works. And these good works will also at times translate financially. Generosity should be the calling card of the financially successful believer. And besides, the Bible clearly warns about hoarding riches, like we saw earlier. That guy in the parable of the talents who went and buried it. Or anywhere else in scriptures, whenever riches or rich people are condemned, I said that earlier, it's in a context of, I love money, I'm going to hoard it for myself, I'm going to put it in a vault. I'm going, to, I'm going to keep it for myself. Money, money, money. I'm going to sleep with my money. Uh, and that's it, right? It kind of I think the image that comes to mind is uh, Uncle Scrooge in uh, DuckTales. Remember when he would swim in his money? He had a huge vault full of gold filled to the brim. And he would take baths daily. He would put his swimsuit and go and plunge into the gold and just swim in his money. Which is exactly what the Bible condemns. (laughs) (laughs) And we grew up watching this as kids, and we're perfectly fine mentally after all that, right? (laughs) Okay. So, and and Solomon says in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5, verses 13 and 14 I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. And Jesus clearly said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where again, store up, right? Treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the Bible is very, very clear we are to create wealth. We saw that a couple of episodes ago. But we are not to amass wealth. So there's a difference. There's a distinction there that the believer needs to make. We are to create wealth, but we are not to hoard it. So this is a, it's clearly in line with the warning, the scriptural warning that Paul gives us about the love of money. Right? It's the root of all evil. Believers are to be rivers of righteousness, not pawns of selfishness. When you're a river of righteousness, that means you're, you're everything you are, even the financial aspect of you, is a river. It flows. So good words flow out of you. Good works flow out of you. Money flows out of you. You are a river of life, a river of righteousness. We're not pawns. We are rivers. Keep that in mind. We are to actively use our resources to be generous and bless others. Give, and it will be given to us. And Jesus also told us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, this is not just done by calling on God and on His influence. It is also us making ourselves available vessels of His will. Believers are called to use all of their resources to bring the influence of the kingdom of heaven down to earth. That's how God's will is done on earth. And yet, despite all this, which is pretty obvious, some believers I know, and there's quite a lot of them, they prefer dreamingly longing for heaven than belonging to heaven. They want to go to heaven. They think that that's when it's going to be. That's what they're looking for. That's what they're longing for. They prefer longing for heaven than belonging to heaven. They they don't really want to act on heaven's behalf and impact the earth. They pride themselves in being grounded in Christ and yet their heads are in the clouds. Their feet are on the ground, and yet they want nothing to do with walking or influencing this world. To quote Oliver Wendell, Some people are so heavenly-minded that they are no earthly good. Let me repeat that. Some people are so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. And why am I quoting that? Why am I saying that, risking offending some of you? It's very simple. Because I used to be one of those people. I used to be one of those believers whose head was in the clouds, who, who dreamingly longed of the felicity that was awaiting me someday in heaven and forgetting or neglecting my earthly mandate as an ambassador of Christ. And sure, and back in, back in those days, I thought that my influence on earth should limit itself to evangelism. I thought, if I evangelize, I, I, I'm doing my duty as a Christian. Unfortunately, I was religiously brainwashed. That, that was the problem with me. You know, if you are so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, this is not God's will. This is not God's will for you. God wants you to grow and expand. He wants you to prosper as your soul prospers. That's in 3 John verse 2. He wants you to be, like we saw in this episode, a good man or woman who will leave an inheritance to his grandkids. He wants you to be the head and not the tail. That's in Deuteronomy 28:13. He delights in your prosperity. That's in Psalm 35, 27. But here's the problem. If we're honest, most believers don't believe this. Right? We're believers. We call ourselves believers. But what do we believe? Really, what do we believe? So, since they don't believe this, since they don't believe that God wants them to prosper and create wealth and help other people using their wealth, well, they remain broke, and that's sad. That is not God's will. It is not God's will for you to be broke. I want to make that clear. And and if you're broke, you you probably say, yeah, I want I want things to change. Nobody likes to be broke. I know I've never met, believe it or not, I've I've never met someone who says, yeah, i I'm, I'm broke. I, I barely have enough money to pay the rent or pay whatever, and, and I'm happy that way. I love it. Unless they're crazy. I mean, nobody likes to be broke. And of course, if you're broke, you want things to change. I wanted things to change when I was broke. I wanted things to change big time. But remember, for things to change, you've got to change. And for you to change, you have to think thoughts you've never thought. You have to do things you've never done. And you have to ally yourself with people that you've never allied yourself with before. So maybe you're in this situation like I was and and you're going like, I want to be a good man. Yes, I've read that verse too, Sebastian, and it hurts me too when I read it. And I'm sick and tired of that verse hurting me. And guess what? It's going to stop hurting you the moment you decide to do something about it. Simple as that. That verse will stop stinging The sting of that verse will leave the moment you become intentional and go like, I'm going to be a good man, a biblical good man, not just a church good man or not just a spiritual good man. I'm going to be a biblical good man. Okay? And if you want to ally yourself with people you've never met or allied yourself with before, like I said, if you want things to change, you're going to have to do things that are different that you've never done before. Well, that's good news because that's where we come in, me and Elizabeth. We help today's believers by helping them to grow in all the spheres of their lives, and that includes their business and their finances. Now, how wealthy does God want you to be? Maybe you've been asking yourself that. What's what's a biblical definition of of wealth? What what am I supposed to, to become financially? What does God approve, basically? Well, it's pretty simple. We read it earlier. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, in the New Living Bible, reads like this. God can give you all you need. He will give you more than enough. You will have everything you need for yourselves, and you will have enough left over to give when there is a need. That's in the New Testament. And more than enough is God's will for you. He wants ambassadors of Christ He wants today's believers to have more than enough. So what does more than enough mean? Well, it means this. More than enough in God's economy means you having no financial debt, you having more than enough money to fulfill every kingdom assignment that God has for you, and then you having more than enough left to help others Fulfill their kingdom assignments. And yes, these others might be your grandkids. (laughs) You know, sometimes you're going to have your grandkids come to you and say, or grandma or grandpa, I need to go to college. Mom and dad can't afford it. Can you help? What a privilege it is as a grandparent to be able. Because most grandparents want to. Most grandparents would want to say, yes, I can help. But most are not able to. But what a privilege as a grandparent to be able to say, yeah, of course I can help. Of course I want you to have good things. I want, you to, I want to help you, uh, my grand, grandson or granddaughter, to fulfill your kingdom assignment. I don't know how many thousands of dollars you need, but here's, here's that money. You can go study now. You know? Now, if, we've, if what I've said here today resonates with you, we, me and Elizabeth, we have a proposition for you. Most financial experts today agree that in order to create wealth in today's economy, you need, I need, at least five streams of income. Five streams of income to create real wealth. The reality, however, is that most people have only two or three streams of income, max. Then so that's a problem. So, if you would like to get acquainted with a great extra stream of income, if you desire to become a good man and leave an inheritance to your children's children, you're going to need to build extra streams of income. If you desire to bear more than just spiritual fruit, (laughs) there's a bumper sticker I once saw, it was really funny, said... uh, God wants spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. (laughs) (laughs) It's not good, huh? (laughs) Well, if you want to bear more than just spiritual fruit, If if you would like to help more people, if you would like to impact more ministries, or if you just have a simple desire for better things for yourself and your family, maybe you're in survival mode and you're sick of it, if you just desire, if you just want to get out of survival mode and start thriving, well, you're gonna need more than one, two, or three streams of income. You need at least five, according to most financial experts. And and here's there's even a verse in Ecclesiastes, I believe it's Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 2, where Solomon says, "Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. Why? Because you don't know." What disaster may come upon the land. So what Solomon's saying is, you know how, how we're how we're told by our parents, and it's a wrong train of thought, right? We're tall growing up, we're told this. You should save your money for a rainy day.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Solomon doesn't say save your money for a rainy day. He says invest in seven or eight ventures for a rainy day. That's very different from saving a penny. This is like investing in seven or eight ventures.
2: Yeah, we're basically told to take our talents and shove them in the ground. We're
0: basically told that from youth by, and oftentimes most of us are not raised by, by people who are wealthy, right? So they don't have the right mindset to tell us what to do with money, which goes to say, right? It just comes with the territory. I was raised by very broke parents on welfare. They were not the people to go to for financial advice. And they would have said stuff like that, save a penny for a rainy day. They wouldn't have told me invest in seven or eight ventures because you don't know what disaster may come upon the land. So we believe that God wants you to bear fruit for his glory, for your well-being, for your prosperity, for your family, for your children's children, for your legacy, for your testimony, and for his kingdom to expand further. Remember, God is looking for a few good men. These ads for the army, we're looking for a few good men, right? Well, God is willing to enlist people, ambassadors of Christ. He wants a few good men. And as we saw today, in today's episode, well, good men are able to provide farther than their own family, their own immediate family. They can provide as far as their grandkids. And great men, like Job, can provide even farther than that. So, that's what God is looking for. And guess what we're looking for, me and Liz? We're looking for believers who care about changing their situation, who've had it, okay? Who've had it with just barely making it. We're looking for people who don't just wanna get by anymore. We're looking for people who wanna get wealth, who wanna create wealth. We're looking for people who want things to change. If this is you and you're listening to this today and you're like, yeah, I want things to change. Yeah, I'm willing to change for that. Yeah, I'm willing to try new things for that. Yes, I'm willing to ally myself with new people for that. If that is you, And what you heard here today sounds good to you. We would love you to visit our website, prosperinglife.com. That is prosperinglife.com. We'll put the link in the show notes. But if you really have an intentionality, if you are like, I'm sick and tired of every time I read that verse, it stings me. I want things to change. I'm intentional about it. I'm willing to try new things, meet new people, and change myself to make a difference, well, we really invite you to visit prosperinglife.com.
2: We hope that this podcast episode has blessed you, that it's really helped you to uh, see, you know, all the financial aspects that we've been covering in January, and I think we have one more that we're gonna be doing next week. So um, I really hope that this uh, opened your eyes to see how God sees money, how God uh, sees the believers and, you know, the actions that we are supposed to put into place, uh, that we do have, uh, you know, things that we are supposed to put into place to uh, create wealth. And um, whether it's you joining us at prosperinglife.com or maybe it's something else that you have on your heart that God's shown you. Uh, In any case, reach out to us. We'd love to to talk to you and help you in any way that we can. So you can also um, fill out a a little form at prosperinglife.com and we'll be in contact with you and we can chit-chat.
0: Well, that concludes this week's podcast. We hope it has blessed you. If it has, make sure you share it. And uh, if you're a lady, yeah, your husband might want to hear this. Your brother might want to hear this. Your father might want to hear this. If you're a lady and and you know someone, and I know, if you're a lady and you've listened to this, you probably had faces pop up in your head. Oh, this would bless so and so. Oh, so and so needs to hear this. Go ahead, share it. I urge you to do that.
2: Yeah, there are only solutions to all of the problems that we face in everyday life, and um, you know, to see the bigger picture of how we're supposed to be kingdom expanders and. You know, always remember that the devil wants to keep you poor. He doesn't want you to thrive. He doesn't want you to be happy. Um, He knows that Christians have wonderful hearts to serve uh, servant leaders, and they are extremely generous and want to bless other people. And so just remember that um, when you're growing your business, that it's not about you. It's about other people as well. It's about serving others, and it's about having maximum impact in the lives of others. So if you'd like to join us, we encourage you because that's what we're all about. We're about helping people get rid of their debts and uh, finally have freedom, time freedom to, to do what counts, to be with their families and to be generous and to help others, um, whether it be in ministry or whatever else God has put on their heart. So be blessed.
0: And thrive on.
1: For more free resources and content, make sure to visit thrivingonpurpose.com